Amen. Do you believe? Give God a round of applause. Man, is His Spirit in this service this morning. Man, God moved in first service, and I believe He's going to do here to, again. Uh, man, thank you for leading it. I tell you what, Tanner, one day uh, when, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get a mic, and I'm going to really sing, and it's going to, it's going to be good, So, uh, uh, but not until that day. All right, here we are this morning. My name is Terry Pierce. I had a wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here at Connect Church, and more importantly, we're uh, in the final week of a sermon series called Life's Healthy Choices, and so we've been unpacking for you guys what it looks like from the story of the Beatitudes. Uh, we call this uh, contextually in the, in the book of Luke. Uh, it's really not the Sermon on the Mount. It parallels uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5, but it is called the Sermon on the Plain. And, uh, and Luke only gives us four of the Beatitudes uh, in his version of them. And number one, in week one, we talked to you guys about this verse. And here's what it was. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And uh, we related to all you poor people, all right, you mean, of us. And anyway, uh, no, it really was about being poor in spirit. And we, here's the reality choice that we gave you. It's called the reality choice. Week number one, my first healthy choice is I accept the reality... I accept the reality that I am not God, he is, and I am totally not capable of not screwing up my life and continually allowing stupid choices into my life. I desperately need God. That is your reality and mine. Welcome to Connect Church, okay? You can't get past that being happy until we admit we got a problem. Houston, and it's right here. Number two, we talked to you guys about the transformation choice. What happens? Now, this was my favorite uh, of sermon in the series, the transformation choice. And this was landed on this verse, the next verse in Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And where the Holy Spirit took us that Sunday was in Genesis 32, and we talked to you guys about wrestling, how Jacob wrestled with the angel of God, and he held on until God blessed him. And I think that is what he's talking to us about in this Beatitudes. Transformation happens when we get hungry enough for God that, man, I'm going to give God more. I'm going to give God more. I'm going to hang on until he blesses me. I'm giving, I'm hanging on, I'm going to be at church more, do my hear journals. I'm, I'm wrestling with God. I'm wrestling with God until he blesses me, and I love that. But apparently number three, week three, uh, it, hit a, it hit a nerve, and man, y'all came unglued last week. It was amazing uh, how God spoke into your hearts and your lives, and we simply look uh, at the hope choice. Last week was the hope choice, our third choice in being spiritually healthy, and it was found in, in Luke 6, 21, that simply says, blessed are you who weep now. Boy, that's an encouraging, for you shall laugh. Jesus turns our view of happiness upside down. He says, if y'all want to be happy, and remember what we've taught you through this series, the, Hebrew, the Greek word blessed in the Beatitudes means what? Right, y'all didn't sound, uh, y'all are so Baptist. Uh, what does it mean? It means be happy, I guess. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, all right let's try it uh, one more time. The word blessed means Okay, well, just act like it. All right, anyway, uh, and so we're talking about he brings hope into our hearts and in our lives, but Jesus says you can't get there, totally blows everything that your media, 
And the world is trying to sell you, if you get this, if you get that, if whatever, you're going to be happy. Oh, no, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. He blows our whole theory of everything in our culture out the water. He says, you got to weep over your sins first. And when you weep, then it's me. It's me. It's me that makes you laugh literally brings joy into your life and gives you hope. And so we talked to you guys, and here's what we shared with you guys last week, that we weep over our failures, and then we run to Jesus, and here's what we discovered. Oh, I wish, if you weren't here last Sunday, some of you all that are seekers, you're not sure about religion and church, y'all need to go back and listen because your whole view of what church is about is probably wrong. Jesus did not come to condemn you. Jesus came and he lived. I'm talking about God came and lived on this planet, left heaven for you. Somebody say amen. Not only did he live for you, he died for you, and then God rose again for you and this morning y'all ready to bait this he is at the right hand of the father he's alive and he's interceding for you today amen give God a round of applause he did all that because he didn't come to condemn you he came to save you he came to save you all right so that lands this you're all caught up you're all like man i didn't even need to waste my time to come i should have just come today all right all right so that catches you up to speed here's where we're at this morning we got to move through this quickly so uh i gotta hit the road so here's our healthy choice this morning uh that we're talking to you guys about and that is the trust choice i want you to get out your notes this morning we're going to cover several things that you're maybe that we'll get who knows we don't even know where we're going to go so the trust choice this morning And we want to talk to you about if God really wants you all to be happy and blessed, but we got to learn to trust him. And so here's how we're going to illustrate the sermon to get started off with today. Um, When Belen, back when we have three boys, and when they were little, they're all grown now, but when they were little, and if Belen was sick, didn't happen often, but if she was sick or she was out of town, and it was daddy's turn to fix breakfast, we didn't do the whole healthy breakfast thing. If it was up to me to do breakfast, it was fun time. So we got strawberry Pop-Tarts out. And uh, we got the Pop-Tarts out. And then, uh, for thir- you know, when the boys were little and stuff in Georgia, we were pastoring. And we did strawberry Pop-Tarts, and it was fun. And then, because uh, that's all we could afford, and, you know, the cardboard thing. And so, but then we came to Tupelo, and, you know, we actually made a little bit of money. And uh, so uh, we upgraded and so uh, when Belen went out of town or was sick, when we got to pastor in church here 20 years ago, we upgraded, and I went to town, and me and the boys, we got toaster strudels. And so, I mean, we went high dollar. And so uh, for breakfast with the three boys, we got toaster strudels. And, you know, the, uh, you know, if you like Pop-Tarts, that's fine. You go ahead and make your choice, but we can't be friends. But, but anyway, uh, we got the toaster strudels. Now, here's what's so cool about toaster strudels, high dollar stuff. You get them out of the freezer, and this is why they're so much better than a Pop-Tart. And again, if you're disagreeing with me, get out. But, but anyway, and so the toaster strudel, you stick down in the toaster, but we had a Baptist toaster, and it was cheap. And so it didn't like the frozen toaster strudel. So we stuck 
the toaster strudel down in there. And I had three boys to feed, and so I had to get three of them done and two for me. Uh, and, so, uh, and so I stuck them down in there. You know what they would do about halfway through? You ever done toaster strudel on a cheap toaster? What happens halfway through? Boom! They come shooting out like a missile. I mean, they don't want to take them, and so I'm shoving them down. Just advice to all the children in the room, don't stick your finger in a toaster. It still hurts. Anyway, and so you, you, uh, you had to shove them back down. They did, those toaster strudels did not like the heat, and you had to put them on there. Now, here's why you had to get a toaster strudel hot, and this is why they're so much better than a Pop-Tart, because they came with a little icing pack. Y'all know what I'm talking about? By the way, they engineered them. Whoever engineered them apparently thought they were worth like a million dollars because you couldn't get them open. And so I got scissors out, and I'm just telling you, there was icing everywhere. It would look like a train wreck tornado, but man, you get that icing on the hot toaster strudel. Ain't not worth it if the toaster strudel's cold. It just sits there, and it just gummies up, and then you got all of your fingers, and then you got to lick it, and then it's on your face. Anyway, uh, but, but if it's hot, man, it just spreads on there. Ain't nothing better than having a hot toaster strudel with strawberry filling inside. I'm just telling you, it's heaven. And that's a lot like your life and mine this morning is that we find ourselves in our journey of faith. And the truth of the matter is, is in your life and mine, if it hasn't happened yet, get ready to saddle up, Susie, because it's coming your way. God is going to allow you to go through the heat. And in that heat process of when the heat is on in our life and through the fire, if you will, is the only way that God can mold us and to help us, and you're going to find out at the end of the message what that fire is really intended to do in your heart and your life to help you be happy and blessed. It goes contrary to your way of thinking, but God takes us through the fire because he wants to mold us and give us happiness and blessings in our life. But here's the thing, y'all got to quit popping up, and you got to hang in there and go through the fire. So sometimes the trials in our life is what God uses to mold us in our life. And here's how Jesus said it. Blessed are you, happy, remember the word? Right? Y'all said it, happy. Happy are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And this is what we're going to land at, so hang with me this morning. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. This is unlike any of the other Beatitudes. In all the other Beatitudes that we've looked at so far, in all the other healthy choices so far, Jesus would say, happy or blessed are you if you do these things, Matt. But he doesn't do that here. Y'all ready? He gives no vindication in this text that if you go through the fire, that it's all going to work out in the end. Um, he doesn't give us that, you know, you do this and here's B. Matter of fact, if I was trying to give you an appeal to become a disciple here at Connect Church, this would be a, a marketing nightmare. This is not how you build your church numerically. But it's what Jesus says. And now look at me this morning. If you're a guest, 
or you're a seeker and you're looking for a church, you got to know, with all due respect, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to convince you to come to this church. But my job is to tell you what Jesus says. Because the only answer that you're going to really need and that you're ever going to really be able to, to, to depend on, it ain't me, it's Jesus. So I'm going to do my best to give you him. And so what Jesus says here this morning is that the truth of the matter is, is if you follow me, y'all ready? And this is going to blow y'all some of y'all's mind and your whole theory of your little worldview. But if you follow me, people are going to hate you. Now go ahead and punch your spouse and go, well, you got that down good. Ah, I'm just, anyway, I'm not talking about that kind of be, being, a, being a jerk, but I'm talking about where we really choose the right pathway. That Man, I'm just telling you, Jesus says that people are, are going gonna, gonna to reject you. To put it bluntly, Jesus says to his followers, you're going to receive hatred. You're going to have social rejection. Listen to me, teenagers. Verbal abuse. So anybody y'all want to get saved right now? Respectable leaders in Jesus' day, of his generation, they labeled Jesus, listen to me this morning, they labeled Jesus, the leaders of his day, labeled him as an enemy of the state. And they persecuted not only Jesus and his followers, they treated him as outlaws. But I think one could argue they killed him. Well, with that wonderful news, happy or blessed are you if you follow Jesus, for you're going to be rejected. And not unlike the Jewish audience that was listening, here's their context. You think you have it tough and you're going through a season of fire in your life? To the audience that Jesus spoke this sermon to, meant if they followed him from this point forward, Stanley, they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Their own family would disassociate with them. You all ain't coming over for Thanksgiving. We don't celebrate Christmas because we don't believe in Jesus. And so uh, the, you, you're not coming over. Not only that, you would lose your social standing in the community and you'd probably go out of business because no good Jew is going to have anything to do with a Christian. Family, socially, economically, it meant everything. Here's what Charles Swindoll, old-time preacher, says and he, and about this text, and he nails it, and I want you to write this down. Jesus promised that the opposition was true. What you're experiencing right now, Jesus was saying, this is, this is reality. The excommunication from the world frees a person to enjoy fellowship. He says and makes the argument, and, and Dr. Swindoll is, is on point here, he says you understand that when we are hated and rejected for Jesus' sake, it allows us to now turn to Jesus for all the fulfillment, for all of the self-identity that we've been looking for, and honestly, you're going to find joy and happiness when you realize all I got left in this world is Jesus, and he wants me in a relationship with him, and I'm telling you, it'll make you say the word blessed and happy with a smile on your face. My fellowship in this world is with Jesus. The question is, as you go through your suffering, are you going to trust him? You see where we landed this at this morning? The question of the hour today is, are you going to make the choice 
to trust Jesus. Now, I need to explain something to you this morning. Uh, as I prepared for this sermon, had, you know, sermon series last year, we're getting it all down. Man, the Holy Spirit has been working it all over throughout everything that I wanted to do. And by Thursday, he said, we're going to go in a different direction. And I go, no, we can't do this on Thursday, but we are. And because he's boss, and so I don't ever win those arguments. So turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. And rewritten the last half of this sermon this morning. I really don't know how it's going to land but here she goes, all right, so I just got to follow this. So we're going to take you to Daniel chapter 3. And for those of you that have been to Sunday school or in church for your life, you've heard the story about three Hebrew. And they really weren't children, but they were teenagers. I know what the song says, and you learned in Sunday school, but it wasn't right. So here's the deal. Uh, three Hebrew teenagers are going to literally be put through the fire. I'm telling you, they're going to experience the heat. Heat is going to be on in their life. Do y'all remember, speaking of heat, it's on. Uh, I want you to remember this message today. So uh, this really bombed in first service, and so we're going to try and see if I can tell the story correctly. Uh, we got a guy in our church. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, but he used to own the record store in Tupelo for dozens of years. He's one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet in his life. And Stanley corrected me on most everything I told of this story. So now I'm going to tell it his version. And his way. I, I tried to get him to stay for second service. But anyway, so here's the story. In 1980s, there was, uh, y'all remember the movie, there was a movie called Beverly Hills Cop. All right, some of y'all remember Okay, it was Jason and Daniel on steroids. No, anyway, uh, anyway, and so so it was uh, Beverly Hills Cop, and uh, and by the way, do not do do not do not anyway, uh, do not. Uh, <laughs> I almost got the, the rabbit there, but anyway, squirrel and a squirrel. So anyway, so um, what was I talking? Oh, the movie. So do not go and watch the original version of this, TBS Church Baptist version, all right? Anyway, uh, and so, but in the mid-80s, there was a popular movie called Beverly Hills Cop. It was Eddie Murphy, and everybody under 40 is going, who in the world is Eddie Murphy? Shut up and get out. All right, anyway, uh, but, uh, so there was this comedian, Eddie Murphy, he was in the Beverly Hills Cop, and it was a very popular movie. They made three of them. The third one, do not watch. It was absolutely trash. It was just terrible. But anyway, first two were pretty good. So they had this movie, and they go to, and then when they're launching it, they didn't think it would be that big a deal, so they were trying to get a cool song, and they go to Glenn Fry. I announced it as Glenn Frey, and Stanley corrected me, but anyway, the Eagles rock group was busted up in the time, and they go to Glenn Frey, uh, Fry, sorry, Stanley, and they commission him to write a song for the intro to Beverly Hills Cop, mid-80s, and the Eagles were broken up at the time, so he writes a song called The Heat Is On. The heat is on. Okay, okay. Anyway, so, <laughs> all right, and so it's 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 really a cool song. And so they give him fifteen thousand dollars. They sign a contract. Glenn Fry does of the Eagles, and I said he was a lead singer, and Stanley corrected me. He was just in the band. But anyway, and so he writes the song. They have the song published. They pay him a one-time salary of fifteen thousand. It goes on to be the top five decade song of the decades. Makes millions of dollars to this day. And poor Glenn still only gets one check of fifteen thousand uh, dollars while this song goes on. But here's what the song says in it, and this is why I said all of that because I want to see if you can relate to the words of this song. The heat is on, the heat is on. It's on the street, it's inside your head, on every beat, and the beat's so loud, 
It's deep inside. Because the pressure is high, just to stay alive, the heat is on. And the truth of the matter is, there's many of you here this morning that feel that song. The pressure to do your job, the pressure to make ends meet. You've got a deadline at work that you know Monday's going to be a sucky day for you. Uh, You've got to go to the doctor for a visit. The pressure is on. Expectation. You haven't done your homework this weekend, and you've got to go back to class in the morning. The pressure is on. The heat is on. And we feel it with all of our lives in one fashion or another. And yet in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to see that these three Hebrew teenagers would literally go through the heat. They would be cast into a fiery furnace because they would not bow down to the idol of their day. In Daniel chapter 3, we're going to see this morning that God desired to bless these young men, but to make them happy and to make them stand out, as you're going to see at the end of the message, they had to choose to trust in God when the heat was on. Daniel chapter 3, here's the story. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth and his 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurer and the justices and the mayor and the, and the district attorney and uh, the whatever. I don't know, but he's listing them all. And the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's the story for those of you that don't know it. In the Old Testament, it's a true story, by the way. This is not a fairy tale. It's a real, this deal really happened, James. There was this king of Babylon. Now you need to know this context because this makes it really fit our our Jesus' teaching here. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had so left their faith of following and being obedient to God and so engulfed themselves in idolatry and living like the pagans around them that God said, enough is enough. And God allowed America, God allowed and even more vile people called the Babylonians to come in and they desecrated the temple of God. You remember the story, Miss Narda wiped it all out and the people are now captive. The freest God's chosen people are now in bondage. I'm just saying we need to pay attention to God, America. The reason we have what we have, America, is not because of your political party, It is because God Almighty has shown mercy and grace upon us. We need revival, and we need God, and we need it soon. And so the Babylonians are now in charge of the world. And these Babylonian, I mean, these Jewish three men who know better, who know the Word of God, they know what the commandments are, 
they're put to the test. And as King Nebuchadnezzar says, here's going to be my test. He's so full of himself. I have conquered all the lands. I've conquered all the people. So his, all those list of people, the mayor and all those people, they come to him and say, let's build a, a statue. So he builds a statue of himself. And he says, we're going to bring out the musicians. And every day when you hear the music in the city of Babylon, everybody stops work. You stop with the children, wherever you're at, everybody immediately is when the music plays and you bow down and you go, oh, how great Nebuchadnezzar is. Oh, how great Nebuchadnezzar is. And you worship him. This is your message. This story happened literally. 2,500 years ago. May I argue this morning, nothing's really changed. Do you know what happens when governments and our leaders test us and demand that we bow down and we give up our freedoms to worship and follow their way of thinking? You better be careful. You better pause. And you better stop and think. When anyone or government is demanding that they're right, and you give up your freedoms, we're all tempted to worship something. And I'm going to get really controversial here this morning, but I want to pour into these guys. To the, to the millennials and to the Gen, G, and Gen Zs and the Gen Gs. <laughs> it's easy for me to say. But all the rest of us need to hear this message this morning. And I'm going to upset some of you, and some of you are going to go ahead and turn off the TV now, but that's fine. The world, you listening to me, guys and girls? The world puts in place systems of thoughts and they constantly are trying to get you and I to quit believing in God. And you understand this morning that their goal is is that if you don't follow lock, stop, and barrel with what you're being told and fed, then you're going to run the risk of what Jesus talked about in Luke 6.22 that people are going to ostracize you they're going to unfriend you on social media and your life will fall apart. They're going to do away, they're not going to, fellow, they're not going to have a relationship with you in business. It will cost you relationships to follow Jesus because they're going to treat you as being subversive when you don't follow the popular culture. And by the way, nothing's changed. When Jesus wrote these words 2,000 years ago, you understand, and some of you have not gotten this down, so let me explain to you the Bible, not as you want to think it, but it is as written. In Jesus' day, may I argue to you this morning that in God's sovereign plan, 
He knew exactly when Jesus needed to be born. I get that theologically. No debate, no argument. God's sovereignty in his, in his plan knew the perfect time to send his son into the world. But may I suggest part of that perfect plan was is that it was a political nightmare when Jesus entered into earth. You all think it's crazy and messed up today? When Jesus entered earth, when Jesus entered earth the Roman government was in rule. The Roman government told you how to think and live and say and do. Not only that, the Jewish community hated it. They're under Roman rule, so they went out on their own. They hated the Roman government. Roman government hated the Jews, and they all hated Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. And if you take a stand for Jesus, what I'm trying to argue for you guys today is, is the culture around you and are you listening to me, America, this morning? The culture around us is going to feel threatened if you don't listen when education says you have to do it our way because we're smarter than you. When, uh, whenever the political governments, whatever party you're in, says we're the only way, and if you don't follow our way, then you're wrong and you're stupid. You better pay attention and wake up. And I'm just telling you, when religion... And pastors and churches tell you, we're the only ones, we're the only way. Look at me this morning. I'm telling you now, don't you dare worship Terry Pierce. Y'all go ahead and rebut. We never even thought about it. <laughs> I get you. Uh, so the truth has never even crossed my mind. But the truth of the matter is, I'm telling you, you need to question and challenge. And what I'm saying is it from the book. And when it's not from the book, and sometimes it ain't going to be from the book, because guess what? I'm fallible. I make mistakes. I'm just as dumb as some of y'all. You need to question it. But when it does come from the book, and when it does come from Jesus, you need to take a stand. Whether it's against the culture, political parties, or even religion. I'm going to stand with Jesus. I filter. This is what I'm trying to say to you guys. Everything you're hearing, when you go to college, they're going to tell you, if you don't follow our ways and our way of thinking, then you, and here's the problem, you filter it through the word of God. To take a stand for Jesus is simply this. And hear me this morning. I'm going to get in trouble, but the truth is, the culture, science, yeah, I said it. So, by the way, the definition of science is that everything that they tell you should be tested and tested again, theory, because it's to be tested until it's proven. When we make science as our God, we're in trouble. When you make politics your God, you're in trouble, and you're never going to be happy. I think they've pretty much proven that. When you make religion your God, you are not, you're going to be the most miserable of all. Well, pastor, you don't want us to come back. I said religion. I didn't say Jesus. When you choose to listen to what's being branded to you and told you that you cannot go here, you cannot do this. And, and by the way, here's the problem with all of this thinking. The theory, 
especially, and it can happen on both sides, but especially to the left. If you listen to their argument, especially to your all's generation, the goal is, is that if we all just learn to love one another, and we all want peace, then we will have a happy and good society. And that sounds really good on a meme. But the problem with that is, and there's nothing wrong with taking care of the poor. Listen to me. There is injustice in this country. The church should have been speaking out about it. There is, uh, there is prejudice. We need to be speaking out about it. I'm telling you there are so many things wrong. But God bless America that we have a country where we can have freedom to have a debate and be able to come to a conclusion that I may not agree with you, but guess what? I'm still living in the greatest land in the world. Amen? And here's the filter that we do with this, is there is no utopia. Politics and science and, and uh, religion, all of it, education, it will never set you free, and here's why. Because all of us are sin-cursed. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect systems. As long as you're in your system and you're in that system, guess what? You're going to do selfish things. There are selfish people. And when they demand these systems in your life for you to bow down and for you to worship them, and if you don't follow their way, then you're going to be out of our group. You better know it's wrong. Jesus says to you and I, just like the three Hebrew children, we're going to filter what this king and government is telling us what to do. And here's the four truths, and I want everybody to write these down because I think that'll help you filter this correctly and what you're up against. Number one, the world creates, write these down, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. I am tempted to create a false image of myself to impress others. That, doesn't that happen you listen to me, Gen Z's and millennial, quit trying to just go along with the popular culture. It doesn't work. If I, if I reject the world's images and idols, people will try to burn me. It, just, a, just a dose of reality. If you try to do the right thing, you're going to have some people walk away from you. You've got to be willing to do it. Take a stand. Do the right thing. And just know, always make some people angry. Suck it up, Susie. I'm just telling you, that's where it's at. And, and this is the reality that he's called us to understand. Some people think that if everybody, would, if I do everything perfect, are you listening to me this morning? Because this is what some of the ideologies think. If I do everything right and righteous in my eyes, and I do everything perfect, then people are going to love me. Would you all quit trying to live that out? There was only one person who was ever perfect, and it's not you, and they killed him. Let that sink in. There was only one person who did it all right, who was perfect, and we hated him, and we killed him. So as we try to connect the dots with the three Hebrew children's day, our day, Jesus' day, and here's what it comes down to. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three stand-up guys who made the choice to trust God in the midst of their suffering. And Jesus would expound upon this truth when he would say, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. Now you're getting this verse down again now. You see where it fits in? And they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now here's the thing. Let me, let me give you one last app, uh, part, uh, illustration of this. And we need to be careful. And then I want to land a plane with, we're going to give you guys maybe some really quick takeaways of uh, this. But here's what you need to know this morning. And please get this. Because this is the error on the, on the religious side that we've made. We need to be taking a stand. So I'm in my, so, um, so I'm in my let me illustrate to you this way. I'm in my D group. And I'm struggling, how do I deliver this message, especially to this younger generation? How do I get them to do it better than what my generation did about how to take a stand without being obnoxious? We've ran so many people off of my generation by trying to argue all you all into the kingdom that I'm better than you because I go to church and I listen to the bald-headed guy, and so you need to shut up and quit being an idiot and join our church. That works really well. That's why we have churches dying all over the country. So how do you take a stand for the right thing without being an obnoxious jerk? So I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so I went to my uh, D group on Monday night, and I asked my guys in my discipleship group, and I just said, can you help me out with this? And they looked at me like I was a moron. And they do that a lot, and I'm their leader. And they looked at me and they said, well, haven't you just been yelling at us for five years? And, and I'll never, t Tony and Brooks and Josh, and they all three at the same time looked at me like, you, you've been leading and preaching to us for five years now, the last five years, that it's all about relationships. Well, duh, preacher. If when you go to work and people don't have your values and they, don't, and they espouse you to do things that you don't want to do, you go in there not with an attitude that you're better than them, but you go in there with an attitude knowing these people need help. And you go to school, not giving in to the ideas and the culture that says, man, you guys have got to do all this to be happy and blessed. you got to do all the things that your age group is trying to tell you to be happy and blessed. You don't go in there and go, you guys are morons, you're all going to hell because my preacher yelled at you this Sunday. Now you go in there with an attitude of humility that simply says, you know what? If it wasn't for the grace of God, I used to be the moron. I used to be the guy. And this is what Brooks and Tony and, and Josh are telling me. They said, Brother Terry, you realize before you met Jesus, you were a moron. And you tell us that all the time. You were just a bunch of B-teamers who the grace of God saved. We were doing the same stupid things. We had the same wrong values. Jesus is the one that changed us. And I'm telling you, if we'll go with an attitude of humility that says, guess what? I disagree with you. I'm going with Jesus. But here's what Jesus has done for me. Maybe it'll make a difference. And I think that's the end goal that Jesus was trying to teach in this text. And we're going to see it this morning. And so I think the guy's got it right. Here's the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The lessons that we learn. Get your notes out this morning. We're going to fly and we're going to go fast, but here's, well, not, we're going to go at the end, but we're going to slow down. But anyway, here's, here's some things. Pastor Rick Warren makes these suggestions. I want to give you uh, six lessons. <laughs> we'll get through maybe a couple. Uh, we're going to give you six lessons this morning to learn from Daniel 3 
about how to do, how to make the trust choice in your life and mine. Number one, God will work through the fire, God will walk through the fire with me. That's the big relief right there. Amen, sis? That's a big relief right there. How do you make the trust choice as you go through the fire of this life? When the heat is on, you need the presence of Jesus. Over and over again, God has promised his presence. No matter what you're going through, you listen to me this morning, look at me today. I'm going to be with my mom in Central Illinois tomorrow. She's going to be having her second surgery of cancer. Some of you have similar diagnosis. Some of you are this morning and your marriage is hanging by a thread. Some of you teens are frustrated. It's your senior year or junior year or sophomore year and it's not going like you thought. Look at me this morning. God wants to walk with you through this day. Through the fire. Through the fire through the fire. Are you not frustrated with where we're at in our country? Man, it's scary. God's going to be with us. Don't give up hope. The Democrats are not going to save you. Republicans are not going to save you. But I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The three in one. Here's the story of the three Hebrew teenagers. Guys, they set the tone. May we do it again to you guys. Verse 24, then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did you not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. They're like terrified. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the, and the appearance of the fourth, he's like a son of the gods. They got that right. Uh, I'm telling you, they take the three Hebrew teenagers. Now, you'll picture this in your mind. They play the, the bagpipe music. They play the music. Everybody bows down to worship. Nin Kebuk, Nin King, you say it. Uh, anyway, the king. And, uh, and they bow down to worship him. And so, all of a sudden, everybody's going, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're great, blah, 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 blah. And they look up, and three teenagers going, sorry. And with humility and grace, they don't make a scene, and they don't protest, and they don't march on the kingdom, they just stood there, Chris, going, mm mm. Because here's what we learned in Judaism the Ten Commandments. And by the way, y'all know, you just be hang on there because come May, Lord willing, his plan is I'm going to be preaching to you a whole sermon series on the Ten Commandments. We're going old school, and I'm telling you, right after Easter, anyway. But they, they learn, and we call this discipleship. And discipleship at home. They were taught by their mom and dad, commandment number one is you shall not bow before any other God except the living, true, and holy God. Somebody say amen. And these three teenagers got it. By the way, don't expect the church to save your kids. Andrew's good and doing a wonderful job with our teens. But you know who has called to disciple your kids? is you at home with your families. Take a stand. And so these three 
Teenagers, teenagers take a stand and they say, we're not going to do it. And they believed as God threw them, as, as the king threw them into the fire. And I love this. His own security team goes, and the king's like looking in there, and there's now four images in there. Do y'all get this? And he's looking inside of that furnace, and he's going, dude, how many did you throw in? And, those, and the head of security's going, dude, I promise you, king, I only threw three in. I, I promise you, we count them. You know, we're not real good in Babylonian, but we count one, two, uno, dos, tres. And so, you know, we counted them in. They were Mexican Babylonian. Anyway, uh, and so they counted uh, uno, dos, tres. And they threw, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said that. And anyway, and they threw the three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace, and there they looked in, and so all of a sudden, and now there's Quantro or whatever it is. And anyway, and, and so now there's four, and they're looking in, and they're saying, there's four in there. So, so what, what are you talking about? And then they looked, and they go, man, and I'm just telling you, they all look fine. They all not, not, There ain't nothing wrong with them. They're not even a singe on their hair. But I'm just telling you, the fourth one, man, it, it, it is out of this world. He had no idea. God was in the midst of the fiery furnace. If you've been in this church for a while, you've heard this dozens of times. And if you stay in this church, you're going to hear it again. Because God has given me a testimony. And he wants you to use your testimony to tell the story of how God walked with you through the fire to help somebody else to make the choice. Always trust Jesus. Always trust Jesus can I tell you what it looks like in my life to walk through the fire and know that Jesus is who you put your trust in? In the late 1950s, there was a young man by the name of Vernon Barker. Now, he's not famous. He's not written any books. And unless you're really old and been in this church for 20-some-odd years, you've never met him. There's about 10 people in this church that's heard him preach because... When I was in Nashville in Bible College, he was my pastor. And God would use this man, and as I, Blinn and I would drive out from Nashville, I'd get married my second junior year because I was so academically proficient. <laughs> uh, and uh, I got married, and, and uh, we would drive out. And so five years I would spend in this dude's church, 30 miles I would drive out to hear Vernon Barker, and not only would he preach, but he would pour into me. And he would teach me. I got an education at college, but I learned how to pastor and preach from Vernon Barker. And he had such a love for people. And you got to know, this was an old school preacher. He had silver hair. And uh, he would come and preach at all four churches that I would ever pastor in my life, including this one. And, uh, and, and he's gone on to be with glory with now. But Vernon Barker would preach on hell nearly every Sunday. Old school but he was unlike any other Baptist preacher I'd ever heard. He didn't tell you how bad you were and that God came to condemn you. He warned you about an everlasting hell and he, wants you, he didn't want you to go. How many times have we been self-righteous telling everybody y'all going to hell because you don't do it like me? Vernon Barker said, I'm just me. I'm just an old coal miner from eastern Kentucky that never graduated from high school that Jesus saved. And every Sunday, you walked out of there. Man, he raked you over the coals, but you knew he loved you. And he did it because he wanted you to be happy and blessed in Jesus. That was a guy who poured into me. And so here's his story in mine about walking through the fire. 1959, 
Vernon Barker goes over to Korea, and he's there in the Korean uh, end of that, tail end of all of that part of the war and stuff, and I don't remember the exact dates, but it's somewhere in the late 50s, and, and um, as that thing was wrapping up, he's overseas, and Vernon Barker was a coal miner from eastern Kentucky. Y'all are getting a picture now what I'm talking about. He didn't graduate from high school. I'm proud of it. And uh, a coal miner, uh, tough as they come, goes to Korea and gets a Korean girl pregnant. Yeah, in the 50s. And he had enough to him that he said, I got to do the right thing. So he brings her back to eastern Kentucky. That went over like a lead balloon. So here's this guy that's an alcoholic, lives at the tavern, coal miner, didn't graduate from high school. He now brings home to eastern Kentucky, not exactly the melting pot of, pot of America, a Korean woman that's pregnant with a kid. Has not only one baby, but then has a second one. So now in the community, when he goes to the bar, everybody's telling him, and they use vernacular, to describe his wife, and says, we don't want her in our town. And Vernon Barker does what he does as an Eastern Kentucky coal miner. He just beats up everybody in the bar. And they're going at it, and he gets beat up. And he's fighting with everybody, because don't make you making fun of my wife and my kids. And they said, we ain't having none of them in our town. And so every week, this is part of his life. So Vernon Barker just in a perpetual fighting. And then he goes to a little Baptist, Free Will Baptist Church in eastern Kentucky one night. And there's an old school preacher. And I've heard him preach many times by the name of Bob Shockey. Bob Shockey had one sermon. He's a big old fat preacher. I'm just being honest. What am I talking about? Anyway, uh, but he was uh, just a big old fat preacher. And, uh, and he preached on how to get saved. He'd tell the same story about Texaco. You remember when Texaco had the start? He would tell the same testimony. Every time he goes into Texaco, he'd go, hey, I've had the man with a star. And he'd tell him how to get saved. And so, and it was just, I mean, I could quote it myself. But anyway, he had one sermon. And uh, that night, a guy that didn't graduate from high school, coal miner, who got a Korean girl pregnant with two kids, Drunk alcoholic, went to the Free Will Baptist Church on Monday night and found Jesus. <laughs> Jesus came in and he said, I want to give you a better life. I know what you're living in is miserable. And he said, I want to bring you happiness. I want to bless you. And Vernon gave his heart and life to Jesus that night. And he got the whole deal. He didn't just get sort of part saved. He got the whole thing. And Vernon, a few months later, six months later, would answer the call to preach. So now God has taken an uneducated coal miner married to a Korean woman with two, Korean, two half kids, American, two half Korean kids, and says, I want you to be a preacher. And guess what? As he started preaching, there were some of the Free Will Baptist churches that didn't want him to come preach for them because he had a Korean wife. So it's not just in the popular culture, it's in the religious community too. And we need to own it. We're stupid. And the racism would continue on in his life. And you talk about walking through the fire. He don't even know any better, James, and he don't understand why everybody's hating on him. He's trying to do the right thing. Got a girl pregnant, trying to take care of everything. And nobody, everybody rejects him. Talk about walking through the fire. So, a few months later, she gets, his wife gets cancer, and she dies. He's got two small children. Never graduated from high school. Coal miner alcoholic, now recovering, 
And by the way, in his case, the day he got saved Monday, he never touched it again. And now he's been called to preach with two little kids. And so he's preaching a revival meeting. His wife just died of cancer. All the stuff in his life. Talk about walking through the fire. Nine months after, or I'm sorry, about 18 months after getting saved, he's preaching, two little kids, and he looks out in the audience, and there's this beautiful 29-year-old lady who's never been married. And he walks up to her after service, and he says to her, and I'm just telling you exactly what happened. You talk about uh, a marriage proposal. He walked up to her and he says, God has told me that you're to be my wife. Some of y'all can't get a date, try it. <laughs> and he said, don't do that. Uh, and so he said, <laughs> it still ain't going to work for some of you boys. Uh, anyway, and he said, God has told me that you're to be my wife. And he said, um, and not only are you to be my wife, but you're to raise my two kids. Are you ladies? Oh, yeah, winner. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I need you to be my wife. And not only do I want you to be my wife and raise my two Korean, half-Korean kids, but God's called me to go to Nashville, Tennessee, to Bible College to study to be a preacher. And he said, we're going to move. And he goes, well, what do you think? Y'all ready, you ladies? Some of you, and I'm watching, and I can't look, because some of y'all single women in the room are going, man, I wish that guy would walk into my eye. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all the single ladies. Uh, anyway, just kidding. <laughs> that's terrible. That's terrible. I'm so wrong. All right, anyway, uh, it's, where was I at? Oh, yeah. Okay, goodness, Jesus, come get me. Uh, anyway, and so, <laughs> that's so wrong. And so, so he looks at, where was I at? Oh, yeah. And so she says, well, give me two weeks. He goes, all right. And she goes, I just got to pray and ask to see if Jesus is saying the same thing to me. <laughs> That's a good answer, ladies. Yeah. Yeah. And so sure enough, Miss Ann says, you know what? I think God is calling me to marry you. And she raises those two kids. And they go to Nashville, Tennessee. And he graduates with his preaching degree. And now roll forward to 1988. 1987, and there's another preacher in town who's going to his church, and he's married to an Hispanic girl, and yeah, there's some free will churches that aren't happy because he's traveling every weekend preaching, and he's got a wife that's not as white as he is. And I was working a full-time job. I was preaching every weekend. And I was going to school full time, and we were living in a little bitty apartment on the backside of Vanderbilt University that was a, maybe a tad smaller than that band cage, uh, drum cage. And I'll never forget as long as I live. Walking in one night, many of you have heard the story, but so many of you haven't. And I came home tired, knew I needed to study exhausted and Belen has tears streaming down her face and she knew me and she knew how I'd react and so she, she was praying that she didn't have to tell me but she didn't have any choice and she's a new little wife and she goes but Terry 
There ain't nothing in the fridge. And there's nothing in the cabinet. And we don't have any money. And I can't cook, sweetie. But it's going to be okay. And she was terrified because she knew that I'm a man and I'm proud. And if you're a man in the room, you understand what I'm talking about. When you get to a point that you can't even provide for your own family, then you've had enough. And I said some things that I shouldn't have said. And I said, I'm out. And she knew what I was going to do. She already knew me. And I said, I'm done with God. I said, I'm not only done being a preacher, but if this is what it's going to be like to live and be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for me. I said, matter of fact, I'm not only done with preaching, I'm out on the whole Jesus thing. <laughs> Thank God I had a godly woman who hung on to my shirt and she was just tears streaming down her face. And she begged me, Terry, don't say that kind of stuff. Terry, don't you quit on God. I know the fire and the heat is on right now, but don't you quit. Don't you quit. It's just a bad season, baby. It's going to be okay. And I said, we can't eat. I'm out. If this is what God promises me, I'm done. And about the time that I said those words, and my wife was praying and loving on me, And I go, said something I shouldn't have said. I go, good. I hope somebody's at the door because I'm fixing to punch somebody. Y'all know I'm competitive and I'm, you know, when I'm put up against a challenge, I didn't care who it was. Somebody's selling magazines, Jehovah's Witness. They fixing to get a bloody lip. I go over to that door and I'm praying it's a Jehovah's Witness. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's terrible. I really did. And I rip open that door. I got my fists clenched, and I'm ready to hit somebody. I know they'd hit back and take me out, but I was going to feel better for a minute. Standing at the door was Vernon Barker, the old boy from eastern Kentucky, never graduated from high school, married a Korean girl, had two kids, alcoholic, but got saved. <laughs> so they called to preach. Married Miss Ann, who had poured into my wife and burned into my life for the last five years. And he's standing there with two bags of groceries in his hand. And the head of the deacon board, Zane Carson, was standing there. Both of them came, Vernon preached my ordination, and Zane prayed over me, standing there with two bags of groceries, four bags of groceries between them. And they just said these words, and I just sitting there dumbfounded. I had the first time in my life, I never had nothing to say. I just was sitting there like, uh. And Vernon said tonight, when we went to go on visitation, old school, door-to-door visitation, Baptist, said the Holy Spirit just told me and Zane, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to go down to IGA. And the Holy Spirit told us to go get four bags of groceries for that young preacher and his wife that's in our church, because I remember those days when you didn't have nothing. And he said, God called us to drive 30 miles into town, and we found your little bar, but they'd never been there before, never been there since. And knocked on that door, and God provided four bags of groceries that night. And Wayne, I'm telling you, from that day to this, I've never doubted. I've never quit trusting. 
that when I walk through the fire, Jesus will be with me. You can trust him. You can trust him that when you walk through the fire, Jesus will be in the fire with you. Will you stand with every head bowed? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I've got five other points, but we're going to forget them. You'll talk about them in your connect groups tonight. The leaders will walk you through it, but Holy Spirit's just shut me down, and this is where we're going to land at today. I don't know why or how that God's led us into this message, but he has. And there's, we're going to sing a verse of invitation here in just a second. Some of you are wrestling with trying to be popular in the culture. And you're worried about pleasing political parties and education and science or even religion. How's that going for you? How happy are you? Can I offer you, can Jesus offer you a better way? If you'll listen, he's standing at the door <laughs> and he's knocking and he's saying, I love you so much, but you're not trusting me. You're not trusting me as I knock at the heart of your door. You keep doing stuff your way. It's not going to work. I want you to be happy and I want you to be blessed. But the way to me, the way to me is that you have to lay it all down. And you got to know that if you're not, if you got to take a stand and I'm going to go with Jesus, I'm going to go with Jesus. If you need hope this morning, if you need to take that stand today with Jesus, if you need to come today with Jesus and just say, I hear you knocking. I'm tired of ignoring you. Today, I choose to be saved, to trust Jesus, rededicate my life. I'm going to trust Jesus. As we sing a verse of invitation, would you come? As our counselors will meet with you and share with you how to know Jesus. As we sing, would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.